1: Shane and I still out on our night hike, uh, walking our way down a ridge line. Again, it's like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, something like that. The Olympic Project Expedition, for people out there, if you get a chance, if you can come get into an expedition with these guys, I learned so much. Uh, one of the things I thought was really cool today was Tom's presentation with the group going out, and he got dressed up like a Sasquatch people knew they well explain it to the audience
2: yeah first of all yeah tom baker it was uh, kind of a group uh it was a last minute thing um we do this for um for our group we've done multiple experiments with thorns at night we decided uh that uh tom baker's got a pretty funny looking sasquatch costume that he would go out for the this particular expedition would go out and and uh do roadside crossings uh ridge crossings he would he would just stand still and the goal was to see who would spot him and how quickly they could capture him on film or or you know camera um and i will say this we were very safe that nobody he would not get shot uh you know uh, that no somebody wouldn't shoot him when he did have orange vest on when he was not doing his thing so very careful obviously you know a lot of people like oh someone's going to shoot him no we're pretty remote and uh took all the precautions but having said that uh it was very interesting um nine times out of ten nobody saw him uh whether he was walking and everybody was very uh very attentive um you know he was spotted at times but basically nobody could get a, a, a get him on film or on camera you know when they did guess what they captured a blob squatch.
1: Yeah, that's what the part I thought was amazing. The Looking at the people's pictures, some of the crappiest pictures I've ever seen. <laughs> the group knew he was out there, kind of knew kind of where he was going to be at. And just to see if people could get pictures. You know, we, we, a lot of people complain nowadays where it's like, well, we have all this technology. We have all these cameras. We have all this. We have all that. Well, you take 20 people out, tell them to bring their cameras and try and capture him. On film, and some of the pictures I was like, There's nothing there. (laughs) And he had to like blow it up. And I'm like, Oh, I guess I kind of see him. It was amazing. I mean, it was completely amazing. You think, and that was the whole goal is to get him on film or get him on a good picture of him in the suit. And it was nearly impossible. I didn't really see one good picture. Actually, the one good picture I saw was from a lady that didn't even know he was there, she was snapping pictures of the cave. And she didn't even realize he was standing there. It was the craziest thing I ever saw in my life.
2: Yeah, yeah, he. Uh, that was that was that was hilarious. Uh, and I didn't notice him because I was taking a break. But he uh, uh, he ended up where we were at and uh, walked across the cave uh, opening. And she was just flashing a picture. And when she went back to look at the picture, he was there. And we all started laughing. Uh, but uh, yeah, funny and and very true. This is how this is a. Uh, it's so difficult uh, to capture. Um, sasquatch on bearer on film i don't think people realize how difficult it is let alone you know we're talking about the unproven species uh try that with a lot of known species bear and deer when a lot of times elk and cougar and everything else very difficult and uh but it was a, it was a really um us as the Limp project members learned just as much as those uh, attending this event um and i learned a ton and uh you know It's a a little bit thinking outside the box, you know, and uh, and learning and just showing you how hard it is. And we all learn something from that.
3: Yeah, it
1: was real eye-opening for me. I mean, it was really eye-opening. I thought for sure someone was going to come back with a crystal clear picture. You know, that was the whole goal of the group. And no one...
2: (laughs) Knowing that uh, you were, he was out there. Knowing that he was out there and that uh, you had a good opportunity to spot him. And yet, uh, apparently, um, not good enough.
1: And the other thing I thought was cool is he was talking about how uh, if he just stood still, didn't move, everyone walked right past him within five or ten feet. Everyone's just walking right past him.
2: And the thing was, uh, this particular costume was a god awful color too. It didn't really match any of the stumps out here. It, you know, um, most of the Sasquatch in this area are reported to be dark, uh, every once in a while, auburn, but very, you know, dark brown to black. Uh, this was uh, what would you say, Wes? <laughs>
1: I don't know. It looked like a uh, carpet. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. 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 Reminds me of Matilda or something, that famous little. Uh, yeah. yeah. But definitely a carpet. And just kind of did stick out. And so, and still uh, could not capture on film um, definitively. Yeah. No, it's been a blast.
4: Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one.
5: When I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. It would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wouldn't be a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing I got to notice in its eyes. Its
0: eyes were real, real evil, real sinister looking. Look, it was given. What are
6: you reporting? Jesus Christ, you better... Sheriff, see ya. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six
0: foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh Uh-oh.
1: Welcome to Sasquatch Chronicles, a place where people share their encounters. Let's start the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. I'm actually coming to you from the Olympic National Forest, I had a chance to uh, hang out with the Olympic Project, the people from the Olympic Project. And I want to thank Derek Randalls. I want to thank uh, Shane Corson, all the guys and gals from the Olympic Project. Had a great time. Learned so much. Uh, I've been out here since Thursday. Absolutely had such a great time. It's so beautiful out here. The show sounds a little bit different than it normally does. I actually have a portable studio I'm using. Uh, so you'll have to forgive some of the sound quality tonight. But absolutely beautiful out here. As you drive out here, there's rolling green hills. There's mountains in the background. Uh, As you step away from the road and actually walk into the forest, it's like you're in the Amazon. The rivers out here are crystal clear. The lakes are crystal clear. Absolutely beautiful. Learned so much from the people at the Olympic Project in four days. I just can't believe how much I actually learned. And I can't thank the the people from the Olympic Project. Again, Derek Randall, Shane Corson, Tom Baker, all the people from the Olympic Project. Thank you so much for having me down. Had such a great time, and it was very warm and welcoming. They had kind of an itinerary of, of, of everything you're going to do every day. Uh, everything was optional, so it was very relaxing. Very cool time, and I want to thank them again for having me. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. My email address is Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com. And if you get a chance, check out the website, SasquatchChronicles.com. Become a member. Help support the show. Thank you again so much for being here tonight. Again, the show might sound a little bit different. I'm in a, a... A little portable studio I set up so that, uh, you know, I could do interviews out here. Most of the people you'll hear on the show tonight are from the Olympic Project, and they're sharing their own personal uh, encounters with us. Uh, So let's jump right into it tonight. All right, I'm hanging out with the Olympic Project and talking with Jess. Jess, thanks for coming on the show.
6: Thanks for having me. It's good to see you.
1: Yeah, it's good to see you, and if you would... Tell us about your encounter, your first encounter you ever had with uh, a Sasquatch. Then we can talk about what, what got you into it?
6: Uh, Well, my first sighting was kind of a surprise. Um, Of course, I'd had some interesting things happen prior years, but this fall at the end of bow season in September, we were out camping uh, and Larry, one of my teammates there uh, was with us and um, Larry and Chris had gone out looking for elk that morning. And left camp and about nine o'clock in the morning, I heard his diesel up over the ridgeline and had been scanning the ridgeline, uh, thinking, you know, okay, they're going to be popping over the top of the hill and coming back. And as I was scanning, uh, the tree line, you know, where it, you know, the, the sun's coming down and it's part of the hillside is quite lit, or I should say it's coming up cause it's nine, um, and then of course there's a section of the trees that's still very very dark but i see something step out from behind the tree and my initial assumption was that it was my boyfriend was coming out and maybe gonna you know flush the elk out and um, it took a few steps forward and then i realized that it wasn't chris it was very very large and then it took a few steps forward and was just skirting along where the sun kind of hit into the tree line and um It walked across the hillside and a couple times its coat caught the light and then it stopped and turned after traversing across the hill. And I mean, basically making eye contact with it, but you can't see its eyes because of the distance, but it's no different than, you know, being out on a football field and I look at you and you look at me and you make eye contact, even though I can't necessarily see your eyes. And then it sat and looked at me for a minute. And then just casually stepped behind a group of trees and then played peekaboo and would stand up and kneel down and pull a branch down. And when it was done, it just stepped up and took one step back and it was gone. And um, when I had first heard Larry's truck, I had looked at my my cell phone and it was right about nine o'clock in the morning. And when it finally disappeared, it was about 9 06, So it was a full six minutes of watching it and it watching us. And I had the two girls with me, so they saw it as well. So it was kind of, you know, it was a long encounter. And I think I was probably more the subject that was being watched than it. I think, you know, it waited for the guys to leave and had decided to come and take a look. And it probably wasn't anticipating me noticing it. But from its vantage point, had I not noticed it, I would have never seen it. I mean, it was so well camouflaged.
1: Can you kind of describe what you saw?
6: Well, it was definitely really big. Um, and when it walked across the hillside, it had um, a very smooth, even even gait. And it had, a, you know, I hate to reference the Patterson-Gimlin film, but it's like the one thing that people have readily seen where they can kind of, uh, you know, say it was very similar to that. And, it, right, they can reference that. It was uh, forward-leaning, no neck, head. Head and shoulders were just massive. It had a, a longer arm at the upper, upper leg was longer than the lower leg. Um, and it had a very forward walking gait, um, with kind of, you know, very pendulous movement from the hip to the knee. And so, um, you know, I mean, you could duplicate the walk, but you can't duplicate the proportions. And so that, that definitely stood out.
1: When you say the lower leg, like the knee was in a different
3: spot.
6: Well, I mean the length, from the hip to the knee was fairly long in comparison to the knee to the ankle. Now, of course, I couldn't see that far down because of all the slash. And so I could just see just to below where the knee was. But even at that distance, um, you could see the way the hair would kind of lay against some of the the musculature. And so you could see how large uh, the muscle groups were. And even though I couldn't tell you definitively you know, describe the face, the way the shadows and the hair laid. I could still a terrible drawing, but I could still sketch out the hairline in relationship to the forehead and the nose and the features. Um, and it was very, very flat-faced. Um, I would describe it as maybe more gorilla-like in terms of shape, um, and, and the nose being more flat, but the, you know, very large, and then a very large um, cranial ridge or brow ridge, um, and then of course the top of top of the head had that. You know, on the dogs that you look at, they have that kind of a nuchal bone. It was the same thing. It had a, you know, more pointy head, would be, I guess, a basic way or conical shaped head that just angled down into the shoulder with almost no neck. So, extremely dense musculature through the, through the neck and the shoulders and uh, very broad across the chest.
1: How tall would you say it was?
6: Well, when we did a, a recreation of it after the fact, I sent the guys up there and we measured and we. We're estimating right about the eight-foot mark. Uh-huh. And why, wider than both Larry and Chris standing side by side. I sent them up there and directed him from down below, and it was wider than what they were. So, How
1: f- how far away were you from the creature?
6: Uh, you know what, Larry? I'm just going to ask him. Like, football field and a half? You know, so... I mean, a a fair distance, you know, and I call it kind of like a fishbowl in the sense that I was at the bottom of a clear-cut area surrounded by hillside on three sides, and the hillside is very, very steep, and so it would be kind of like looking up into stadium bleachers, and that I had this direct line of sight of clear-cut hillside, so it was was nothing debris-wise between it and us.
1: What was it about it that caught your attention?
6: Well, initially I was like, oh, here comes Chris, and then you know, immediately it was the size, the size difference was, was significant. And I didn't even realize how significant until the guys went up there and kind of made asses of themselves trying to climb the hillside, the, definitely the size and the way that it walked. I mean, Larry and Chris couldn't walk through the slash without falling and dropping. And I mean, it was really funny actually. This thing walked so smoothly through the undergrowth. And you have to understand, I mean, the slash there's probably three to four feet with lots of logs and lots of hidden holes. And it didn't stumble. It didn't struggle. It didn't have to step over things. It just simply walked like we would on fairly, like on a path or, you know, pavement. I mean, it just, it was very, very smooth, very at ease in territory that we would have to really work hard at getting through. So that was, that was the big thing, um, and that it was just very comfortable and very confident in its environment and very interested in what we were doing.
1: Did it make you nervous? I realize you're at a distance away from it, but you got your two kids there, and then you see something that big. Were you worried at all when you looked at it?
6: You know, I mean, I probably, maybe I should have been, but, you know, I always laugh and say, it's not like you go turn on the news on CNN or Fox and say that some kid was absconded by Bigfoot. So no, I wasn't wasn't worried I think I have a healthy respect for it in terms of its size but we weren't bothering it and it clearly came in and watched and was there to do whatever it wanted to do so I mean you know there wasn't any threatening behavior it just was there to watch so maybe if it was like a bear charging you or if it was a little bit closer I might have been a little bit more concerned but I, I mean there was just nothing about its behavior that gave me any reason to be concerned at all
3: yeah,
1: no, and I understand that. Sometimes you talk to people, and uh, the, you know these things growl at them, or they bluff charge, and people have a different take on on these things than uh, than that type of encounter, where it's more curiosity, where it's just checking you out.
6: Sure, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're probably any different than people. My personality is different than yours. It's going to change depending on the situation, and I think age, obviously, and maturity, probably just like people alter how we interact at different times and and i think they probably i mean i've experienced really aggressive noises in the past so yeah i mean i think there is the possibility of having extreme aggression especially if they have or share any type of primate traits um there's definitely the possibility of a physical aggression as part of how they express themselves but in my experience and i think in others it's it's more of bluff charging it's more of moving you along the trail with noises and sounds without ever showing itself because they don't want to give themselves away but it's very easy to use noise and sounds to intimidate to get you to move directionally where they want, kind of like cattle dogs. They're able to move what they want to move just using their body language and sounds and so I don't see what they're doing as much different than that.
1: I think it's interesting, your your boyfriend had an encounter and he was kind of as you and I were talking earlier, I mean, he was kind of Supportive but skeptical, which is understandable. Right. Um, you want to you want to tell us what happened with that?
6: Yeah, we were out. I guess it's been about three weeks now, and we'd actually just gone out camping. We weren't out bigfooting, and we'd taken the jeeps, and we were out with friends, and they'd gone out night wheeling, and there was a, a section of road um, that kind of goes over top a clear cut area with a stream, and he locked up his brakes and and slid the jeep about twenty or thirty feet. And saw something come up the side of the hill, cross the road, go back down. He apparently got out of his Jeep and went and watched it, you know, cross the meadow. And he said at one point it turned and faced him as it was going down the hill and that it did growl. Um, But I haven't really asked him a whole lot because he's still processing and this is not really the time to be you know, throwing a bunch of questions at him because he's still kind of processing the whole thing. But they did come back and get us. And you could see where he'd skid. And he he was honestly scared. I mean, I haven't seen him shaken up over very much. And he was physically shaking, did not want me to get out of the Jeep. He chambered around, he was so concerned. And, you know, I I don't know, I think the longer you spend out kind of having these experiences the less worried or the less scared you get because you're you're more familiar with what's going on and he just isn't there yet and so you know I'm out there oh let's run down the hillside and see what I can find and he's like no it's dark I don't want you going away from the jeep you might get eaten because he just doesn't have that he just doesn't know and and I think he'll get more comfortable with it the more he goes out maybe the more experiences he
1: has but what did can you describe what he saw or did he tell you what he saw
6: he said it was big, and when we went back and measured a spot, I think we're figuring at between the seven and 8-foot um, range. And, I, I mean, my take, the reason it growled at him is when he saw it, he hopped out of his Jeep and he ran towards it initially. And at that point, it was already down the other side of the embankment when it. he said it turned at him. And so, I mean, yeah, if you startle something, a wild animal, and you run at it, don't be surprised if it exhibits a warning behavior to say, Hey, you know, don't follow me. You know, they can be quite intimidating. So, um, he described what he described was very large, very masculine. Um, and then what was really ironic is that, uh, my teammate Larry had had a sighting there maybe two months. Yeah. Some six weeks, eight weeks prior to that. And the one detail that Larry hadn't shared, uh, was a detail that, was one of the first things Chris had noted is that it had a white spot on its on its neck and when he said that to Larry Larry was like you've got to be kidding me and then Larry pulled out the drawing that he'd sketched of it with the grayed out patch and it was in with I mean the same exact location of Larry's sighting um, just a month and a half or two months prior to that and so and I I can't remember the time of day Larry's sighting was but this was 10 o'clock at night so yeah
1: does he want to go out anymore or is he done
6: no he does he definitely wants to go out more I just don't I don't think he has quite figured out what all of it means yet you know I think he's interested to have more experiences but I think it's a bit unsettling initially because it's just something very new and you don't really have a a reference to it it doesn't quite behave like any animal he's ever experienced and so it's going to take him a while to, to get comfortable and figure it out and you know, bigfooting isn't his hobby. He goes in support of me. Of course, yeah. we weren't bigfooting that night; we were four-wheeling. <laughs> yeah. But you just don't know. I mean, you could go out and research for years and never have an experience, and go out bike riding and see something. Yeah. So it's it's kind of probably a little bit luck of the draw for some people. And you know, we spend a significant amount of time out in the field. Um, I haven't switched this year since my accident, but um, you know, when you're out in an area every weekend wildlife start to desensitize a bit to you and I think they start to build a comfort level whether it's the deer or the coyote or whatever they start coming closer into camp and I don't think that this is any different have you ever had
1: anything aggressive happen when you've been out
6: oh oh yeah I mean we've had growls I've had I had a giant rock hurled in my direction um and it landed right behind me the year prior um in that same area and it was Gunner and I sitting, Gunnar Monson and I sitting around a campfire about midnight, and we were actually talking about the Oregon Primate Research Center. And um, I hadn't really thought much about it, but I was had just made some a primate call, and, and at that time we heard this crash, and a whoosh, and then a thud, and this ginormous rock landed a foot behind my chair. And so when it landed, it made such a crash. Of course, I flew over the campfire, tripped over him, and just about roasted myself. Because if you hear something, you know, land behind you at midnight, you're your obvious reaction is you need to get up and turn around and face it because it landed right behind me so i catch i catch a lot of a lot of shit for that i'll be honest um but when we went back and reviewed the well, audio blamy.
1: i mean well, yeah. some throws <laughs> a rock at you I'd, you're, you're, you're ins- I'd be jumping over the fire too right it's
6: like oh god I, you can't see what it is and it's dark and so i tripped right over his feet into the fire just trying to get my feet underneath me so i could face it but when we went back through the audio, um, Gunner was like, you've got, you, you're not going to believe this. And so you can hear as Gunner and I talking, you can hear some grunting and growling going on in the background. And then right before it throws us, you can hear the ah, 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 really, really deep. And then you hear something step forward and then you hear the whoosh and then you hear it hit the branches that it's going through. And then, of course, you hear it land and you hear my, oh, I don't know fuck shit sorry (laughs) Sorry. it was lots of four-letter words i'm sure and then landing and then it was gone so the next morning we did crawl up to that area because there's no rocks in that area so whatever it was had to have been carried in from the road and there was a landing point that was maybe 25 or 30 feet up from where we were sitting um that was just pine needles and you could see something had been there it had been kind of tamped down um And it had a perfect, we never realized until we climbed up there, had a perfect view of the campsite, but she would have never seen it.
1: Yeah, that would scare me, especially, you know, we were sitting around the campfire right where you and I are sitting right now, and we heard something moving back here. And it could have been anything, but it was moving. And then Shane had his recorder set up back here, and we actually heard a little vocalization back this way, so I'm hoping that... um, Shane captured it. And we Was can, that last night? Last night, yeah.
6: Oh, that's interesting because when we were hiking, um, Larry and I, being he being old, me being fat, uh, were last. And so we'd kind of broken off from the group. And the group had gone over in that direction, which would, I think would be west. Yeah. And we heard a single howl from the ridgeline. On the east side, and Larry and I both stopped. And actually, Derek heard it because Derek made a vocalization back. And we didn't initially know if maybe somebody else from the group had made that. So when we caught up, um, James Million was like, no, we heard that as well. And they had, of course, made some noises. We knew it was them, but it was in that same direction. Yeah, no. Late yesterday afternoon.
1: Yeah, no, we were out here. It was after everyone got back. We didn't come out here till. I think it was uh, after midnight. It was like twelve thirty, one o'clock when we came out here.
6: Well, I mean, James has had something happen down there where he saw something, and I don't know if that was last year. And then when I was up here, I don't know, two years ago, um, I was walking back to my Subaru, which had been parked just right out here, and I was backed right in against the bushes. And I had something flank me all the way from the porta potty up and it wasn't quiet and it was pushing pretty hard through the debris and it literally was keeping keeping up with me and so when i slowed down and stopped it did and when i walked it kept coming i know you know i don't know what it was it could have been a cat it could have been who knows but it was definitely it made a lot of noise and it drew drew attention and then i got in my subaru and got into my bed and about 10 minutes later i had something thrown at the back of the subaru And then I got up the next morning and there was a rock sitting at the base of the Subaru. And it cracked. I mean, it cracked pretty hard.
1: Yeah, I don't want to give away too much on the location where we're at, but this whole area is notorious for uh, sightings. If you ever look up sightings in this area, it's just notorious for uh, people seeing creatures and all kinds of roadside crossings through here. And I've talked to loggers through here that have had encounters. And this is a great area. It certainly is.
6: You've got the power lines. And so, I think anytime you have the power lines and you've got some clear cut people, it, oftentimes it's still pretty steep and there's a lot of slash, so people don't choose to hike through there. But it makes real obvious corridors for something that has the ability to, to go through it pretty easily. And so, um, interestingly, in our research area, besides here down on the Oregon coast, we have similar, similar, um, theories about the power lines and how they use those as travel corridors and we've had a significant amount of sightings and um my sighting ironically if you look behind the hillside behind where it was there's power line and there's a power line corridor the sighting where both larry and chris had it's a power line corridor and there's also a creek underneath it and so you know you start to really um attention to that
1: yeah i think those are the areas to to set up shop you know as a hunter those are the areas i'd go to because that's where all the prey goes and then it's such an easy it's the easiest path to go from point a to point b
6: sure and you get a lot of deer down there you get a lot of elk you know the elk will hover kind of in the in the tree line but you know we'll drive through there and you'll see elk down there and so you know if they're using it as a travel corridor and coyotes use it why would what i would consider an apex predator yeah. um, why would it not do the same it's following the food. It's following the water, but it still has shelter. I mean, it's it's really, I, it's really an ideal ideal setting.
5: Yeah,
1: I think I thought it was interesting last night when uh, Derek was talking about uh, how in the past they've gone out and they'll set up four guys along the trail vocalizing, and they'll give everyone thermals. They'll give everyone cameras, and nine times out of ten, you can't find those guys. You know, and, and they're telling you ahead of time. And I don't think a lot of people realize how thick and dense it is out here. I mean, I could go 10 feet back from where we're sitting, lay down, and you'd never see me. You'd probably never find me unless you came right up on top of me, so.
6: No, that's really true. And, you know, the joke is it's the the world's champion hide-and-seek, but... it is i mean its whole job is to avoid detection and that's obviously what it's done and it does it well and it's well suited to the environment and we're visitors so okay. yeah i mean in this environment you can go just 10 feet behind Shelly's tent there even seven feet there's that tree there and, and somebody could stand right there and you never see them yeah. um and in our area we've had that same that same same occurrence and we were out this last winter And it was pouring down rain. It was the most horrific conditions. And um, it was cold and it was wet. And it was pushing up near midnight. And my little dog, Foxy, absolutely went bananas. Now, they've been been bigfooting with us since they were puppies. and, And they're not bothered by a whole lot. And she started barking and growling and pacing. Right at kind of the brush line, and so I have an inexpensive um, imager that I bought for my tablet, and we hadn't we hadn 't used it yet, so i 'm like okay well let 's pull this out. I figured we had a fox or maybe a coyote or a raccoon or something that was coming into camp, and that 's what I anticipated seeing, and what we ended up seeing was something very tall and very large peeking out back and forth behind a tree and You know, it's not a high-quality thermal, so um, you don't have the benefits that these high-dollar equipments have, but you can take still shots, you can take video, and when we broke it down even frame by frame, you can see that whatever it was was significantly large, not proportioned like a human would be, and it didn't have that same, it it didn't have the gate that we would choose to walk in that would be difficult to kind of um, emulate, but... In terms of size it, it's with that imager it was very hard to try and recreate i mean we we did some test runs and and I would still say between six and eight feet because it was larger than anybody we sent out in that same location, but it was pouring down rain and you know and I'd like that, to see that that i I can show it I actually have it with me and it's it's not great, like I said it was our first time using it um and so I guess. You know, I'll plug the plug this piece of equipment for their company. You can thank me later. But um, both Fleer and Seek Imager have these tiny little. Um, I'll have to show what I actually have it with me. They come in this tiny little case, and they can plug into your tablet. They can plug into your phone. So they have both the Android and the um, the iPhone, and they run between two and three hundred. And I compared them. They have their pros and cons. Um, they're not fabulous, but they're perfect for somebody who wants to go out and wonder what's. Not too far in front of them. Now, the Seek XR, which is the one that I purchased, was about $300 and it has a range up to, I think, a thousand feet, which is pretty significant. And it's got a little manual focus on it, but you can take stills and video and you can actually take still shots as you video. And um, it comes in several different color palettes. And so you can, you know, select through it. Um, And honestly for the money i think it's fabulous it's something that the average person can afford it'll give you um a peek into the woods at night you know you have to learn how to how to use it and how to read it but if there's something large and in charge and throwing off heat you're gonna see it So uh, we could even see the dogs. We sent the kids out. We could see the kids. Um, Poor Shane, we were testing it one night, and I went probably 500 feet, and then I mooned him. And you could see that. So, I mean, you can actually get some pretty good um, detail off of it. Of course, the more clothing you have on, um, the less uh, detail you have. And so um, that was something that we did notice. But, I mean, for the money, I think for a piece of equipment that's easy to carry with you, money well spent, um, you're not going to get a Nobel Prize for hey Patterson Gimlin film, but you're certainly it's a tool that you can use and have to say okay that's something that's a coyote or that's a fox or that's a larry.
1: Yeah, last question. What do you think Sasquatch is?
6: Oh, you know there's so many theories. Um, my my personal my personal take is that they probably share similar DNA to us as do other primates there's probably much more similarity than difference i my opinion is that it's um you know similar to humans in terms of evolution but its own little branch and they've continued to adapt and evolve to the environment that they're in much like we have so where we've gotten less hairy <laughs> over thousands of years and more refined it's probably the traits obviously that would be best suited or coat and musculature and strength and stealth and so and i and i I, so i think it's similar to what we are i think it's would be similar and related to primates um but its own species i you know i don't think i mean I, i thought a lot about the possibility of it being a hybrid you know that's been tossed out a lot and i suppose that's a possibility you know the Native Americans talk about it interbreeding with women. Is that a possibility? I don't know. I mean, there's some. I mean, look at horses, and they can do that, and you, you can get mules, and so who knows? But I think it's it's probably very similar to us um, in terms of genetics and physiology. But I think it's its own own species. Yeah. It does a good job of keeping itself well hidden, and so it just hasn't been categorized yet.
3: Yeah. Jess,
1: thanks so much for sitting down with me.
6: Oh, thanks for having me. Well, I'm
1: sitting here with Mike Leone. Uh Mike's every time I've gone to a conference or uh, been out on expedition, he's always been there and he's like the lone hiker. He's like uh Chuck Norris, you know, he's like the, the the guy that goes out by himself. Uh Mike, thanks for coming on, man. Sure.
5: Thanks for having me. I enjoy the show. Thanks, man.
1: And if you would, uh you had two encounters. I know your first one was up at uh,
5: Mount St. Helens. Do you want to tell the audience about it? Sure. Um, It was July 2009, and it it was the end of July last weekend, and it was really hot that weekend. And I was out doing my mountain biking thing, and that day I mountain biked uh, the Lewis River Trail and then made my way over to Mount St. Helens. And parked right out in front off Forest Road 83 there, right by the Lahar viewpoint, off the little service road, Forest Road there. Yeah, I was just relaxing, enjoying a beer in front of the mountains. Sunset, it cooled down, it was beautiful. It was a Sunday night, and just, it was literally about 10.50 p.m., and just out of nowhere. Whoop, 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 super super loud and clear and almost immediately off in the distance the reply oh whoop whoop and went back and forth for about 10-12 seconds then the one that was whooping whistled twice like two two sharp whistles and that was it. it went dead silent and you know i was always been a believer and then that just changed everything you know that became as Bobo would say a knower I mean nothing else makes sounds like that and I just stood there in awe and literally started crying I'm like wow they're for real they do exist I had no recording devices I had a little camera I went in my car got the little video camera I sat there shaking like with my hand on the record button and of course nothing happened so I waited about Half half hour, and then I decided to walk down. It was about a half mile walk to the um, two parking lots, Ape Canyon and Lava Canyon parking lots. And there was no cars there. And there's one trail in between both of them that leads down the Smith Creek. And that's I walked in there, maybe 50, 70 yards, whatever, and just sat and listened. There was dead quiet, and um, that was it. But man, it. It just blew me away, and I still get goosebumps thinking about it. It was, it was awesome. It was.
1: Were you worried at all? I mean, here you're in a position to where you're
5: by yourself, which is crazy to begin with. You know that, right? Yep. I do. I do a lot of solo bigfooting, as they say, and some people think I'm crazy, but you know, it's it's a rush, and that, you know, I had the adrenaline going, and it was just like. I don't know what I was going to do anyway in the dark alone, but I just, that's the only thing I could think of to do. And plus, I wanted to go down there and see if there's any cars. And it was before Finding Bigfoot was on TV, so it wasn't any other people making those sounds. And, man, if I only, and ever since that time, I always have a recorder out now because, yeah. What's
1: interesting about your encounter is the whistling and then everything stopped. Yep.
5: You know, to me, they were just locating each other. It was really hot. That was, might have been the hottest weekend of the year that summer. And I do believe they travel together in groups or, you know, at least they, they keep track of each other. And that's they were locating each other. And that's, that's all my theory on what was going on. And they were going about their whatever they do. And then you had a sighting in 2012.
1: Do you mind telling everyone about that?
5: Certainly. Um, It was the end of September 2012. Um, I, at the last minute, decided to drive out to the spot out by Mount Hood. Um, It was a Thursday night. And I hadn't been to this spot in a couple years. It was just very convenient. So I drove in. It's off Lolo Pass Road near Riley Horse Camp. I have no problems telling people where it is. You're welcome to go there. And just drove down, parked in the little inlet. At the time, I had a Honda Element, and I had the back set up as a little camper. And that night was dead quiet, beautiful, warm evening, no bugs. And um, literally, I fell asleep in my chair, woke up, crawled in the back of my rig, slept woke up it was about 8:30 in the morning and i literally just sat up to just to take a look around because i pulled in there at night and caught movement to my left and there was a bigfoot right there just walking away from me i only saw it from behind and i watched it for a few seconds it rounded the bend out of view and i was like no freaking way <laughs> it just it was just like wow and You know, it was about six and a half, seven feet, just your big, broad shoulders, no neck, just hunched over, lumbering along the road. Um, After a few seconds of amazement, I jumped in the front seat, grabbed my little video camera, and I went after it, trying to videotape it. And of course, it was gone, and it was really dry. We were in a drought at that time. So it was really hard to find any kind of tracks or anything. Um, So I was in my, uh, I walked down to the end of the road where it was burned off about 50 yards. I was in sandals at the time and looked around, couldn't find any tracks. Um, Went back, got my shoes on, walked down a little further. And then I was maybe about half hour after I saw it, I'm walking back to my car And off in the woods, I hear this, like, yelling. I was like, whoa. And to me, my, I thought that, you know, that Bigfoot made it back to its companion or whatever and was getting yelled at, like, what the hell were you doing out this early or this late? Because it was 8.30 in the morning in the daylight. And that's the only thing I could think of, that they're that intelligent where, you know, it, they were in the woods there. That's where they were hanging out. And, yeah. it. What uh, what color was it? It was dark brown, black.
1: And was there anything about how it was proportioned that threw you off?
5: Just big, broad shoulders, you know. I didn't look at the legs or feet, you know, because it was so quick. I just was looking at the head and the back, and the left arm swung out as it rounded the bend. And... You know, it wasn't ginormous, but I think it was like an adolescent or something. I'm just guessing because it was probably out when it shouldn't have been out. And um, there's a couple campsites down the road. They were closed for the season or at least during the week they were closed. Um, And there was nobody else around for miles because I had my bike and I biked down just to see if there was anyone and there was no one back there. So, yeah, it was just luck plain and simple, you know, if I would have, I think it was right in the road, walked out of the woods, was watching my vehicle, and when I sat up, it realized someone was in there, and it turned around and started walking away, and that's when I saw it. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of
1: life-changing to see one of these things, isn't
5: it? Yeah. I mean, it just confirmed what I already knew from the vocalizations, but, um, yeah, it was really cool. I'm very fortunate just to have that those two encounters for sure um just lucky guy and i just tell people just go out and do your thing and you may get lucky
1: yeah it's always it's amazing isn't it when you are actually looking for them it seems like they never come around we were talking about that last night around the campfire it was like when you're sitting around the campfire and you're just bsing that's when something always happens but if you're out there tromping around for whatever reason nothing ever happens
5: yep i tell people when you least expect it expect it and you just never know so um just always try to be on guard i always when i get to camp just uh, start a recorder and um always try to have a camera on you you know it's because you never know and someone's gonna get good video or picture it's just you know matter of time but that's all you can do, because you can never really prepare for when you're actually going to have it and what you're going to do once you <laughs> encounter one. So, What do you think Bigfoot is? I think they're a biological creature. They're definitely an intelligent species. You know, just um, like Derek says, they're very hypersensitive, hyper-aware. I always tell people Sasquatch have a very high woods IQ, I mean, this is their home, and it's real easy to stay undiscovered, you know, just walking, you see the steep terrain of these hills and how thick forests, and, you know, one could be right across the street there, and, you know, he's fine, because no one's going to be bushwhacking up that steep terrain, it's, so it's, you know, mainstream people don't understand how... Fast and thick, some of this forest is, and there's so many places where people just don't go, and it, they're safe there. Yeah. Well,
1: Mike, thanks for coming on, ma'am.
5: All right, thanks for having me.
1: All right, I'm sitting here with uh, Larry, founder of the Tillamook Research Group. That's all right, Tillamook Forest Group. Tillamook Forest Group. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Larry, thanks for coming on, ma'am.
0: Hey, you're welcome. Glad to be here.
1: And if you would, I know I, I was just talking with Jess, and she was telling, uh, you were sitting there with us, and she was telling us about her boyfriend seeing that uh, that one Sasquatch with the white stripe on its neck. And you had actually seen that one before. Do you want to tell everyone what you saw and kind of what you experienced prior to even
0: Jess's boyfriend seeing it? Sure. About, I'll say about 40 days before that, I was out in our area. I am do some writing, so I wanted to get away from home. So went out to a, a place, started a fire, just sat and did some writing. And it came about noon, and it was like, I better go home and get something to eat. So I'm barreling down the logging roads at about 40 miles an hour. And there's one area that's always intrigued me. is a beaver dam p- complex area. So I always glance down there. And it's kind of a dip in the road, so as I was cresting the hill, I'm seeing this guy crossing the road in front of me. Now, mind you, I'm going 40 miles an hour, and I'm going, why is that guy all in black? Why is he wearing a ski mask? What's wrong with his nose? And as I got up to him, it turned over its right shoulder, looked at me, and I was still going, as I passed it, I was like, well, that was a Bigfoot. And, of course, then I tried to stop, and as soon as you hit the... uh, brakes on gravel road at 40 miles an hour it's like you're going on ice so as i'm trying to control my truck on the road <laughs> sliding all over the place i've finally turned it around went back to where i saw it go in i had a torque calf of the time um got out of my truck ran on down the hill where i went in and there was this trail so i ran down this trail for about five minutes and uh realized i was completely alone so i was like well that wasn't a guy i knew what it was to begin with so i did a zigzag pattern and i couldn't find any tracks or anything so i ran up uh back into my truck and ran up where i got cell coverage and contacted shane he was coming back from san diego oh uh, he got the excited larry about the the sighting um i got home and i was after a while i got home and uh I'm not much of a drawer, but I actually drew its face to a T. And what it looked at me went across the road. We went back the next day, that Sunday, went back and did some measurements of uh, how wide the road is. Because I only saw it take two steps and it was gone. If there was a first step or a three steps, I didn't see the first one. I only saw it as it came from my left to the right. I saw two steps, so the road was 18 feet long. Yeah, and as it ended, as it got across the road and was taking its last last step, it just turned over. It turned and looked over its right shoulder at me, and then just went straight off the side. Well, its face was imprinted on my mind like a negative, and I literally drew it. Little known to me, going to Jess's story. Chris, I showed him the picture of that, he goes, That's exactly what I saw right down in the white patch um that I drew.
1: You hadn't even told him about the white patch or anything.
0: No, I didn't tell him at all. So it was I said, What well, did you well did it look like this? And he just he couldn't believe it.
1: For the audience, will you describe to them
0: what you saw? Um, basically, the height of the thing, I guesstimated about 8 feet. And the reason why I say that is because its hips came up to the top of the grill of my, my uh, 2003 full-size Dodge Ram 4x4. Um, it did have a conical-shaped head. And you know, unusual thing to me was kind of a flat-hooked type of a nose. Um, kind of a beady brown eyes. Uh, the hair that i saw was kind of flowing off of its show off of its neck there was no neck to write home about it was more like set into its shoulders uh, massive shoulders the hair is kind of like a cape that came up up the head down over its neck and it had this white patch on one of it, one of its sides like like what we would have like if it was like a patch of gray or something like that massive legs huge chest uh I had a side profile it was until it turned at me but uh it was a massive creature I I couldn't even tell you how big the legs were it was it was gigantic in my opinion What is it
1: what is it about this area that you guys go out to why do you think that they're in this area
0: I'm not really sure I think I do I do have a theory I think it's because of there's constant food in there there's deer and elk all over the place in there you don't have to go too far to find an elk or a deer. They're always around. There's ground. There's ground food there. There's year-round uh, vegetation that you could eat there, and plenty of water. There's always water year-round as well. It's relatively stable in temperature, uh, except for your uh, freak storms that come in. Um, the temperature gradient during the summer, for instance, if it's like 80, 80, 90 in town, it's 20 degrees cooler. It doesn't cool off as much during the winter it might get every five years you'll get a snowstorm that's an aberration but basically there's it's like its own microclimate and it's pretty stable there it's kind of like a it's a top of a bowl if topographically speaking it's just it's just uh, it's a sheltered area
1: What type of localizations do you guys get in that area? I mean how would you describe it for the audience?
0: We've got stuff similar to the Ohio sound, uh, calls, uh, whoops, uh, whistles, uh, mouth pops. They sound like like that, like that. Uh, they, We get some verbiage. I'm going to call it verbiage, not chatter, because you have no idea what they're really saying. But we don't get conversational chatter, per se. It's just like uh, whoop, come sit. That's kind of what it sounds like, or... I've heard, I have a recording that actually sounds "whoop, come shoot me," but that's not what it—you know—it could be something else. It's just how my mind uh, interprets it. But they, there's all sorts of different uh, um, vocalizations that they do. Uh, we got one that's uh, a real high pitch. I think that you played that in episode 28. If you guys could refer back to that, I think you'll you'll hear two. The uh, the one I've never heard again was the one I was on episode 28. It was a two minute uh, call between. It was an interlude between two of them. Um, Then the uh, the Ohio howl one I haven't heard since. But we mostly get whoops or or uh, some sort of screams that type of thing.
1: Have you gotten any aggression in the area? I know I was asking Jess about um, her boyfriend's encounter, and he kind of went after it, so it turned and growled at him, which terrified him. But, And I don't know, I'd call, really call that aggressive behavior, because he was kind of the aggressor in the, be- in the whole situation. But do you get any aggressive-type behavior in that area?
0: I'd have to say never. I think that uh, while uh, I've been point-blank range to them, in the sense of where they reach through my tent and grab my head. And I've been close enough to them to, you know, see them uh, 30 yards in the dark. They're just curious. There's no aggression whatsoever. However, Gunner and I were, were uh, pushed out of an area once that uh, we've never gone to at night. And uh, they have this capability of making this, uh, for lack of a better term, a boombox sound that's uh, penetrating. I'm not going to go to infrasound. I'm not sure it's that, but because you could audibly hear it, um, real deep bass sound. But it was they were they know to stay out the distance just enough where your flashlights can't penetrate. That's the how many yards it is, or wherever it is that dark zone is. They stay right there. But that night I called the Jurassic Park night because it literally pushed us off the mountain. And uh, was just staying out of sight. And the weird thing was, is prior to that, I heard we heard one whistle to the southwest, and then we heard another one to the northeast. So we knew there was two of them in there, because we were the only ones up there. Period. Could always all, was, all we we're going to do is just leave, leave audio and, and leave. And we were up in there, and I set up a parabolic dish, and that's when we heard the first whistle. And then when we got off the, got back in the woods, we stood on the path, went dark. And we hear this boom, boom, boom. But similar to if you would think somebody was walking down the woods with a boom box, but imagine the bass, that irritating bass blasting at you, coming straight for you. So I finally convinced Gunner to get look, well, we gotta get out of here. We're being we have to leave i pushed him had my 45 out i don't know what i was going to shoot at because i couldn't see and we ran on down the uh walked down the hill swiftly as we got down the bottom uh, towards the bottom at the road there's another path that's coming off from the from the uh south and we had another one coming up that path making the same noise boom boom i got that all recorded and um we we left and deployed, you know, left and deployed the mics, but uh, we got out of there, and those, we, I did get that recorded.
1: Is that like a vocalization that you're describing? The the boom boom boom.
0: If that's a vocalization, it's the first time it's ever been recorded anywhere. I got I ran it over to David Ellis; he's never heard anything like it.
1: Interesting. How often do you guys go in that area?
0: On average, we're up there every week, every two weeks,
1: year round. And what's kind of the hope when you're up there Are you guys trying to get track casts you guys trying to get them on film what's kind of the the ultimate goal up there?
0: want to put a bullet in one I'm in the no kill uh part I think the whole f- Tilma forest is no kill yeah. but we're you know if we get a track that'd be good that's that's good we'd uh, we've actually got more sightings now since since we've been up there so much, and I think part of the rule of thumb is, is that, at least for my looking back, is that they get to know you after a while. They know what vehicles you're driving. Um, they know the sound of your vehicle just by the metallurgy in your engine, how it sounds. There's a uniqueness to everything. Your voice is unique. They learn that. They learn. I guess you could hypothesize they learn to trust that or get used to you. Um, usually when I go in there alone, it takes me about 20 minutes to to acclimate back to the woods, decompress. And after a while, I could tell they're around. I've had them walking around me in the dark, whistling, pop, mouth-popping, breaking sticks and stuff, get real close within maybe 15 yards and just can't see them because my campfire light doesn't go that far. I've learned not to flash a flashlight on because they don't like it. And uh, we've had them throw rocks at us before uh they whistled uh where my dog took off right after him uh, i thought i was gonna lose my dog shane was with me that night and uh, we got him back and a minute 38 seconds later another whistle came from another direction there went my dog again a border collies are pretty fast so he could have been right up to it for all we know and he you know we got cody back but uh most of the time, our motive operators let the, let them come to us, and uh, we get some awesome audio. I think we've gotten some chest beats, uh, we've gotten uh, grunts, uh, we've had them uh, throw rocks into our camp. Uh, one time, there was one that was so close to our camp, it threw a rock, and we hear this tink, tink, and we didn't know what it was until the next morning. What it was is they threw a rock and hit my tailpipe on my truck. But what was really fascinating is that the one that was in camp got all excited and had this ooh ooh that that type of sound but it was a you know a, a grunt grunt thing but he was really excited because it made a big noise and we had them come they imitate bird sounds uh it's kind of weird but they they could they've got a pretty repertoire of, of uh, whistles that they do you know they got your regular standard like that and they got the high pip sound type of whistles that they can do and a uh, different type of octave of Talking, if you will, it's not like what you and I would would comprehend. But it's not human. Yeah. What do you think Sasquatch is? I'm mean, getting lost out of, of that. I haven't got a clue. You know, if <laughs> I don't know, you know, I think it's some sort of ape that's learned to walk upright. Um, I don't think it's of the Gigantopithecus uh, genome at all. It's something else, and I just haven't put my finger on it. Um, kind of like the one. Some of it would be like a upright walking gorilla with a human type of face, for lack of a better term. Uh, they are powerful, hugely powerful.
1: Well, Larry, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate being here.
0: Ain't no problem. Thanks a lot.
1: All right, I'm sitting with the uh, great Thomas Steinberg. I'm a huge, uh, huge fan. I've been in this uh, for a very short time. I know you've been looking into this for a long time but uh, I appreciate you letting me interview uh, my pleasure my pleasure I know you've written what, four books uh,
4: I've written three myself and co-authored two others I've also done editing work on a few more so
1: if you would where can people get your books and would you mind going through the ones you've written and the one you co-authored
4: The first book that was published was called The Sasquatch in Alberta. It was put out by Western Publishers, which has gone under. I mean, they, they went out of business quite a while ago, so it's rather hard to find that book nowadays. The second book was called uh, um, The Continuing Mystery, Sasquatch Big for the Continuing Mystery. It was done by Hancock House Publishers. You could still find it in any store that sells Hancock House books on the Sasquatch. The third book was called In Search of Giants, that came out in 2000. Same thing, Hancock House Publishers, still available. And then I co-authored Meet the Sasquatch with Chris Murphy and John Green, that came out in 2004. That's still available. And the last book was uh, Sasquatch of British Columbia, again with Chris Murphy and myself, and that came out in 2012. How long have you been looking
1: into this subject?
4: I started serious research in 1978. I've been at it ever since, but I was interested in the subject in general
1: long before that, yeah. And what got you interested into it? What what made you actually, you know, most people don't realize the time and effort and the money and everything else that goes into looking into this. What got you to that point to where you're like, I'm really seriously going to look into this?
4: Well, it all started when I was a a weird kid. So my parents, this is like the mid-1960s, my parents brought home from my sister and myself a hardcover Reader's Digest book. You know, one of those educational textbook type things that has a chapter on hurricanes and a chapter on volcanoes and this and that, and it had the usual section in the middle on dinosaurs with all the old paintings with you know a T. Rex standing straight up dragging its tail on the ground and we know And suddenly, right in the middle of that dinosaur section, there were two pages with these creepy black and white blurry pictures, and the title of the article was "The Thing in Loch Ness." I must have read that a hundred times I couldn't put it down I became fascinated with it and wanted to watch everything And read everything about it And I started scouring libraries for books And of course when you Go looking for books on this You find books on, uh, with other things in it And I knew very young I wasn't going to move to Scotland so, um, so I started reading about this thing In western Canada called the Sasquatch But what really did it was Not too long after that Sneaking downstairs when my parents are watching a movie on the old black-and-white TV I go walking around the corner thinking I'm gonna get hell for being up They says, you know, let's let the lad watch it. My father says let's him watch this He's interested in this kind of thing. My mother. Goes, oh, no, 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 no. He's gonna have nightmares blah, 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 blah. My father won. Well, I'm sure he's regretted that ever since and what was playing was that old hammer horror film classic starring Peter Cushing, The Abominable Snowman of the Himalayas. Do you remember that one? Yep. It was Sasquatch from that moment on. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> and I started uh, reading and collecting and studying and researching everything I could find on the subject. And I started physically researching uh, the matter in, like I said, 1978.
1: And when did you meet John Green.
4: I first met John Green not too long after that, 1980, I believe, 7980. I met Renee a couple of years later, uh, and uh, uh, the late Robert Tipman soon after that. Yeah, I knew them all. The late Grover Krantz. Yeah, the only one of the originals that I really didn't know until recently was Peter Byrne. Yeah, I didn't really meet him physically, the 2010, even though we exchanged letters all the time yeah i'd like to say one of the greatest achievements was i was able to be friends with all these guys and do research and work with all these guys and not get sucked into their personal wars (laughs) you know because half the time you couldn't get these guys in the same room together you know
1: not much has changed
4: oh i mean renee would i gotta go meet renee in the bush and he'd go so what did that me say about this or that? You know, and I am not telling you, Renee. <laughs> he says, I um, I won't tell you what he said, and I won't tell him what you say. And they never held it against me. Yeah. I don't know why, but they didn't.
1: Yeah. yeah. What was some of the most memorable encounters that you've looked into?
4: I'd have to say two of the best ones I looked in was one was the Crandall Campground incident in Alberta and the Victoria this weekend in 1988. Hmm. Uh, it was uh, four witnesses in uh, Crandall Campground in Waterkin Lakes National Park. They were all playing cards at the table and the one couple decided to go down the trail to the public washrooms to brush their teeth and turn in for the night. Well, halfway down the trail, this thing was standing on the trail and they almost bumped into it. It let out a large grunting noise at them. And she pulled away from her husband. Her name was Susan Stone. She she oh now it's Susan Ray Adams. And she ran running back to the campsite, yelling "Bear!" But Scott he slowly backed up and he kept his eye on. Him. He saw what was basically a large shadow move off the trail to the left. And of course, the other couple back at the campsite, when they heard the word "bear," was helter skelter for the cars. Scott came back, tried to get in the car with his wife, but she had locked the door, and she wouldn't let him in. I mm-hmm. well, guess somebody had to be sacrificed. <laughs> and he ended up getting in the car with the other couple. Well, they turned on the headlights of one of the cars. They didn't see anything. And they turned on the headlights of the other car, and this thing walked into the air aluminum lights, and they all saw it as it disappeared in the trees towards the manga blackstone brook. But here's where it really got interesting. The two men wanted to go drive around the seat again because uh, Darwin Gillies... He knew exactly what it was. I mean, he said, you, "You're not going to believe that you don't know what the hell that was." So that sort of thing. Blank, blank, blank. You know, the two men wanted to go after. It. The two women wanted nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, Susan wanted to pack up and head back for Calgary. But they calmed her down. So they ended up getting piled, all piled in one car and driving around the campground, seeing if they could see it again it had been in the general direction where it had gone. And they ran into a pickup truck with three other people. It turned out these three people had seen something strange too, and they were looking for it.
3: Mm.
4: So we may have a case here, with, not with four witnesses, but seven. But the problem is, uh, I was never able to identify those three in the truck, and and, uh, I have no idea to this day who they were. But here's where our four main witnesses did the interesting thing. They decided to report it to the park warden's office the next day. That's In national parks in Canada, they're called wardens, not rangers. And Darren Gillis insisted on making out a written report. About what they saw, they were willing to just hear the story and let it go at that. But no, he insisted on in doing a written part. And then, Warren Allen Dim, I interviewed him, and he told me he did everything he could to convince these people that oh, it must have been a bear you saw. Sometimes like just them, they wouldn't hear nothing of it. And it's known as the camp, camp Crandall Campground incident. I wouldn't be surprised if someday it's considered another Sasquatch classic. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. What did they think it was? What did the other people, I knew there was one guy there that he knew what it was, mm-hmm. but what, did they describe what they saw?
4: Yeah, yeah, and they all basically said the same thing. Susan thought it was over, just over seven feet tall. The others thought it was closer to eight feet tall. Susan thought they were, you know, about 90 feet from it. The others thought they were over 100 feet from it. My measurements, they were about 80 feet from it when they saw it. So they overestimated that. But the, I interviewed all four witnesses separately and even those little variances in the description they were all generally describing the same thing and it, w- it was very soon I mean Dar- Garren Gillis knew exactly what he was looking at and it only took a few months for him to d- inform everybody else what they were looking at and they all had to agree with him yeah yeah
1: That's interesting. What was the second one? You said there was two memorable ones?
4: Yeah, my second favorite. Well, I've had a number of them, but the the second favorite is uh, 2008 in the Lower Mainland British Columbia. There's an area called Bridal Falls Forest Service Road. A married couple were up there in the high observation point looking at all the lights of the Lower Mainland. They were on their way down. This is like 2 in the morning the wife never really saw it because she was paying attention to cds she was fiddling with cds or something and all she remembers is her husband breaking to a halt and saying did you see that and she and she goes what what did you see just some big hairy guy just walked in front of the truck it's a narrow mountain road and they were coming down on and she started asking him questions and eventually it clicked into what he was talking about. And she said, are you saying you saw a Sasquatch? And he said, no, there's no such thing as a Sasquatch. Hmm. And this witness still to this day won't say it was a Sasquatch. He's, he's told me, I don't know what else it could have been. It certainly fits the description. But of course it wasn't a Sasquatch. She so said, can't be any such thing as a Sasquatch. Some people don't even believe their own eyes. And he told her, don't tell anyone about what we saw what I saw here tonight don't tell anyone but she told her friend who told her husband who used to work at the mill where I lived and he knew me and what I did so within 24 hours of this happening, I'm phoning him up saying, I'm curious about this thing you saw on Brighton Falls Forest Service Road last night. He's going, how the hell did you find out about it? You know, He was not happy. <laughs> and so we went up there, and I went to his place. After I calmed him down and assured him that Adam and Inity would be respected, and he, to this day he won't really reveal his identity, he agreed to do an interview and show me exactly where this happened. So I interviewed him at his home. I interviewed his wife And then uh, with Bill Miller and, and company We went the, the following day up the, To where this happened And g- just by coincidence The Chilliwack Press Was doing a story on Sasquatch In general And we said well we just had this recent sighting report, we'll tell you about it and we're Not revealing any names So they did and they wrote a story about it And they, they titled the story If you go in the woods today And the young man read it and said my god That's the same, I saw something the following evening on that same road. And he came forward and he contacted us and said, I saw something the following evening. And he had no idea until he read that article about this incident. So we said, well, tell us all about it. And, and we agreed to meet him there, and we met him at the spot where it happened because it was right beside an old nursing stump right off the road, and it was only like a, barely a kilometer from where the first incident occurred. Mm. Yeah, and while interviewing him, it suddenly realized he didn't see it the following evening. He saw it four and a half hours before. Really? Yeah, so his sighting occurred at 10.30 p.m. September 18th. 2008. Midnight rolls around. It's now September 19th, 2 a.m. The witnesses from the first story are coming down the hill. Yeah. So even though I can't say with 100% certainty, it's a fair bet that both these accounts involve the same animal. Yeah. Can't say that with 100% certainty, but when two incidents happened four and a half hours apart, barely a kilometer apart, the same Forest Service road, it's a good bet it was the same animal. Yeah. And they knew nothing about each other.
1: That's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. What's kept you going in this whole thing?
4: My own curiosity. Um, To me, I want to know one way or the other if the thing exists or if it doesn't. I'm a researcher. And to be a researcher, you have to admit there's a possibility you may be wrong. It's very possible. And I accept the possibility, even though at this stage I still don't believe it, that I'm just pursuing a great piece of Western North American folklore and mythology. I don't believe that yet, but it's possible. Other researchers, a lot of them, they're not really researchers. They're more like religious leaders pushing a faith. There's no way you convince them that they're wrong. Because they believe in it so wholeheartedly. And that's not a researcher, and that's an advocate. It's like a religious, like I said, a religious leader pushing a faith. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Sasquatch mystery is going to be solved. It's going to be solved by research and inquiry and investigation, not an act of faith. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Do you think they're dangerous?
4: I don't think they're particularly aggressive uh, as a habit. Uh, Most encounters, I know, the thing moves away from you, fashion, you move away from it. But I do believe it's a primate, therefore it's an animal, and any animal can react violently if it feels cornered or threatened. And let's face it, we do have people who disappear in wilderness areas every year without tracing. I think if you ran into a hostile one of these things, you would tend to disappear. But do I think they go out of their way to harm human beings Or we've got some sort of monster out there No, if that was the case we'd know more about them by now yeah. In my opinion yeah.
1: yeah. Why do you think they're so hard to catch?
4: Because they're so elusive by nature and I don't think they're in danger or anything like that, but I don't think there's a great number of them. An old friend of mine, the late Grover Krantz, once did an estimate that he thought there was maybe one sasquatch for every hundred black bears in any given area. And to me, that sounds reasonable. He's probably right. Yeah. I tend to go along with that. The odds of you being in the right place at the right time, or the wrong place at the wrong time, depending on how you look at it, is it's a shot in the dark. Yeah. And that's why I get, you know, my red flags go up for me when I run into people who claim five encounters, six encounters, and more than that. Yeah. yeah. That sounds a little. Because in 37 years of looking myself, I may have had a fleeing glimpse once and only once. Yeah. yeah. What did you see? In the summer of 2004, I was going up the west side of Harrison Lake Road. There's a, long, a large valley. We were on one end of it, going down through it to go up to the other end, and that's where the turnoff to uh, the fellow I was with, named John. He was the watchman up there. We saw a figure crossing the cut line where the power towers were, right at the crest of the next valley, and it crossed from the middle of that cut line to the trees on the right side in about five seconds. It was big. It was walking upright, but it was really too far away to positively identify. You couldn't see any fine details. And my philosophy from the beginning has always been stick to the facts and never deviate the facts. The facts are, I saw a figure. The facts are, it was moving upright. The facts are, he was jet black, or appeared to be jet black. But also, the facts are, I could—he was too far away to positively identify. If that was a large man, I have as yet never seen a Sasquatch. If it was a Sasquatch, I've seen
1: one. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard vocals that made you stop and kind of...
4: I've heard uh, I've heard a lot of sounds, a lot of strange sounds, and who knows? But nature and animals play uh, a lot of strange tricks. I mean, have you ever heard a cougar screech? It doesn't sound anything like what you hear in the Disney films, you know, and people don't recognize these things. To me, a noise in the bush or a noise at night is just that, unless you saw what made it. You know, it's just a noise, even if it was a Sasquatch yeah you gotta see it, yeah, I mean it could be, but we don't know i I hear people hear noises all the time and things like that, and I think a lot of them are probably misidentification of common animal noises or human noises. I mean, there was a whole a bunch of famous ones that i, I thought I had put it at a stop to a number of years ago. you've heard of the shahala sounds, yeah. They sounded just like the Powell recordings of the late 1960s, the Chalmers recordings in 1979, and the Klamath recordings in 1993. And when I saw a Coyote uttering those sounds, as far as I'm concerned, that answered all those others too. Yeah, they're probably Coyote. Yeah. Because if you don't see what did it, it may freak you out, but that doesn't
1: mean it was a Sasquatch. Right. Yeah. Uh, one thing I liked about Grover Krantz, and I never met the man, um, and I never got a chance to meet uh, John Green. I know he's still around, but I, n- I never got a chance to meet him. And I know a lot of the those guys were real quick to say, "Put a bullet in it," mm-hmm. and I tend to agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if for, uh, do I? and people get upset when I say that but do it it doesn't mean you should slaughter everyone you see that's not what I'm no, saying no, no. Yeah. but what's your what's your feeling on that it's
4: just the reality of it uh, when you ever asked uh, the major institutions and that would be the Smithsonian and the National Geographic Society or whatever what do you need to confirm that the species does exist and is alive and thriving on our wilderness those areas and they're unanimous they need a body or piece of the body nothing else will do and when they say that that's exactly what they mean and no amount of wishful politically correct thinking is going to change it now we don't go out shooting a whole bunch of them but i agree with the late grover Krantz. i mean if killing one would terminate the species and they're doomed anyway it's going to happen uh i don't like the idea of doing it but that's what has to happen the only way around one is to find the remains of one that's already dead mm-hmm. yeah but that's what has to happen do you think the government is is covering this up? No, I don't think the government cares, to be honest with you. It's not something they're overly concerned about. If it doesn't affect profits and taxes, they really have no concern. And it's not like they're killing people and, and taking them away. I mean, the government is the government. Uh, they don't really care one way or the other, in my opinion. That goes for Canada as well as the United States. To them, it's, it's irrelevant whether the Sasquatch exists or not. That's the way I like it. There's no big conspiracy theory, and like that. I don't buy that for a minute. Uh, John Green once suggested that a royal commission in Canada, as we call it, or a commission of Congress, where witnesses are interviewed could possibly establish the existence of the Sasquatch, but you know, people can come in and lie through their teeth. It, just because it's something official doesn't mean they're not going to. Trying to prove them wrong, <laughs> that's the problem. So, no, it... it, it witness eyewitness testimony i mean there's still people every year who say claim to see elvis all over the place so you know and the government's not going to declare him still alive (laughs) change it you know i don't think the government the american government or the canadian government really gives one hoot whether or not the sasquatch exists or not that's not important
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And it's pretty big over where you're at. I mean, Sasquatch, you're in Harrison Springs. Harrison Hot Springs. Harrison Hot Springs. And that's kind of a hotbed of activity, isn't it?
4: Oh, yeah. uh, Harrison Hot Springs uh, and right next door where the Chehaz Reserve is, is where the name Sasquatch was first coined. Yeah. Uh, A man by the name of J.W. Burns was a school teacher. He was a a white man. And he uh, was writing articles because he came very friendly and was well-liked by the community there. Uh, and the shaheadist people were telling him about this creature in the mountains called the Sasquatch, or the Susquehye. It all depends on who you talk to and how they pronounce it. And he wrote an article for McLean's magazine that was published April Fool's Day, 1929, called Introducing B.C.'s Harry Giant. And he took the word Susquehavik or Susquehye and he misspelt it and mispronounced it and he called it Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. And that's how the name caught on with the non-native community in Canada. It's been known as Sasquatch ever since. And the name Bigfoot came about in the late 1950s down here in the United States when a man named Jerry Crew made castings of footprints around his bulldozing equipment. And he went into the, the newspaper, the Humboldt Times, and a reporter named Andrew Gonzoli took a photograph of it and had the article, Bigfoot Prints. And that went on the Associated Press where Bigfoot was born, and that, and of course they never heard of can Canada, Canada Sasquatch, so Bigfoot was for the name Bigfoot was born but so basically Bigfoot's the American name and Sasquatch's Canadian name for the same thing yeah. yeah. do you still take reports today? Oh yes, yes, I do. can you tell us about a recent report you took? most recent report that I have happened in late April on Vancouver Island. It's another roadside crossing with possible footprints. Uh, and a researcher I know on the island who I passed the information on to has set up trip cameras in the area and hopefully we'll see something. But you never know. It's another roadside
1: crossing, but it's the most recent one. It scared the heck out of the guy. <laughs> yeah,
3: I got
1: it. Yeah. The roadside crossings crack me up because... You know as you know i mean you're a wilderness guy you're out here you can hear a car coming on two miles away you can hear it coming and for whatever reason they seem like they kind of sit and wait yeah. until you're yeah, just like
4: deer there's like rabbits just like raccoons you always know, like wait until there's a chance they're going to get hit and they'll dash out yeah <laughs> you know i don't get it but that's what happens and it continues to do so yeah
1: have you had any reports of one being hit by a car or a hunter shooting one? Oh,
4: yeah. Or yeah, yeah, I've had a few reports of hunters shooting them, but never bringing them in. Uh, never died. I've had a, I know of a few accounts where people have hit them, but they have not killed them. Hmm. Uh, matter of fact down in uh, an American case a man down in Oregon he almost pretty well lost his job because he refused to change his story you know, like his boss wanted him to, to to explain the damage to the front end of the truck for insurance reasons <laughs> he Said a bear did, you hit a bear I said no I didn't, what I hit was on two legs <laughs> yeah. there's nothing there so I take it he, he didn't have that job for very long I know of a fellow uh, logging truck driver, I'll just call him, well, I won't call him because he didn't want his name revealed. Uh, he back he damaged a building because he was looking at a Sasquatch in the tree line out the front of his truck, and he backed into the building caused some damage. <laughs> I to, didn't hit the Sasquatch, but he sure damaged the building a bit. And when he said, why didn't you do it? Why weren't you looking at what you were doing? I was looking at the Sasquatch. Out the front. <laughs> so if you're going to make up a story to cover your ass, you're going to come up with a better one than that. man. But he, I, I think he was telling the truth. That's what he was doing. He was just... Dumbfounded by what he was looking at, and he sort of forgot he was still slowly backing up, and he, he took out the corner of the building. <laughs> what do you, uh, what do you think Sasquatch is? I think it's a higher primate. Uh, I think the old uh, theory, hypothesis of Gigantopithecus blacki crossing the land bridge and coming into North America at the same time the ancestors of our first nation people did. That to me that makes the most sense. No, I could be convinced that otherwise that they have an assortment but still, as right now, to me, that's the one that makes the most sense. A higher primate, an undiscovered ape. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to agree with you.
1: The only thing that throws me off is the footprints. Yeah. Uh, the footprints are very human-like in appearance, not. Uh, but the rest of the description, I'm with you on that.
4: Yeah, basically their yeah. feet and the way they walk, and that's where the human similarity in after that it's it's
1: eight when you first got into this, was there a lot of i know nowadays you hear so much paranormal stuff you hear um people saying they mind speak they have special jedi powers and they have uh when you very first started into this was any of that going on
4: oh yeah, but not to the extent today I mean today the Sasquatch field has re- literally become an asylum that's been taken over by the inmates. Uh, that stuff uh, and the tabloid mentality of the media is just drawn to that there are people like I said and this is another reason why the government doesn't take it seriously it's because the media is dominated by people who come out with these stories and uh, and these television programs don't help I mean there are shows on now that make Finding Bigfoot look like a Masonian special yeah. you know the only way to describe them is duck dynasty hunts Bigfoot you know ridiculous so why would they take it seriously <laughs> yeah
1: It's a huge honor to uh, have you on the show. Well, thank you for asking. No problem. Thank you, sir. All right. And that's it for tonight, everyone. Remember, if you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. Please visit the website, sasquatchchronicles.com. Again, I want to thank the people from the Olympic Project, Shane Corson, Uh, who hosts Monster X, and Derek Randles uh, for inviting me down. Thank you so much, guys. Had a great time. From the Olympic National Forest, I will see you guys next time.
0: Run into Old Navy Saturday and Sunday for 50% off all Old Navy active styles for adults and kids. They're all 50% off. But hurry, it's Saturday and Sunday only at Old Navy and Old Navy.com. Valid 215 to 216, excludes in store clearance and baby.